Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Good morning. Doing all right? <laughs> oh, you're all exhausted because it's the last day of the conference. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that sounds about right. That's all right, because you've had a good time, I hope, exploring Philadelphia, eating cheesesteak, running up the rocky steps, worshiping the Lord, having real community, real devotion, real responsibility with and for one another, and now you get to drive home, hopefully no more than five hours away, because this isn't Texas. That sound about right? Times two, you're going to drive 10 hours away? Where's that at? Maine? Oh, that's unfortunate. I'm really sorry to hear that. Hopefully you can bend something. I don't know what's out these days. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I know you're very exhausted, so today's message is actually the shortest message. Did that on purpose, and I hope that's all right. Uh, We are going to look at Joshua chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, but first I'm going to show you an advertisement. Uh, when I signed a book with a publisher, I signed a contractual obligation to promote this. This is very awkward, but I'll get through it. Uh, this book apparently is available in the back. That's pretty cool. Uh, but basically, Real Devotion is the first of three anchors, Real Devotion, Real Community, Real Responsibility. Uh, and the focus of this book is to help people learn to love the Lord God with all of their minds. Uh, so in this book, you'll read about motive is why do we do the things that we do and who do we do them for, how love finds a need and meets it, how sin is not the breaking of an impersonal law, but the personal heart of God, uh, how prayer is not about what you do, but whose you are, so on and so forth. God has a right in our lives, not because of what he does, but because of who he is. God's laws are descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective. These were truisms that were taught to us uh, in our Chi Alpha that really transcended decades and decades and have stuck with us uh, years after. Um, And basically, the purpose of this book is to help anyone be a disciple and help anyone make a disciple. Uh, So if that's you, then feel free to purchase some in the back or head to this website, wisdomhousepubs.com. Sound good? All right. I have fulfilled my obligation, and we're going to move on. Uh, All right. Joshua chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Mark Batterson is the pastor for the National Community Church in Washington, D.C., with over seven locations. He's a great preacher, a world-renowned preacher, a New York Times best-selling author. This is also a person like us with highs and lows, success and suffering, the ability to forget, and the temptation to leave a call. He recounts a personal story of a problem in ministry. The unexpected had happened like it does to us all. Trial and tribulation became reality like it does to us all. He began to question whether or not he was doing what he was supposed to be doing like conflict can do to us all. And in this moment of despair, with a present that makes one seemingly forget the past and question the future, he decides to go for a drive. The drive was not necessarily about clearing his thoughts, but going back to the place where all of his thoughts of God began. He drove to his childhood home where he first heard the Lord speak. Years had passed. A new family had taken residence. He knocked on the door, a stranger in a familiar place, asking in tears to the new homeowners if he could just go into the backyard. He needed to go back to the place where his adventure with God began, believing 
to remember how God spoke to him in the past would bring peace to his present and determination for his future. And as he made it into the backyard, he found the exact spot where the Lord had first called him into ministry. Standing in this place, he falls on his knees and he wept. He remembered the Lord. And when he got up from his knees, he was not the same person from before he bowed. But before he left, he took a picture of the backyard that's now framed above his desk in his office. It's not a picture to write home about. It doesn't mean anything to anyone else who beholds it. It will find no bids and no auctions, just a simple, ordinary picture of a place. But when he beholds this picture above his desk, he remembers this is the place where the Lord called him into ministry. This is where his adventure with Jesus began. And when he looks at this picture, be it good times or bad, in success or suffering, he remembers this adventure is not over, it's only just beginning. Mr. Batterson turned a picture into a monument, so every time he looks at it, he can remember why does he do what he does and who does he do it for. In Joshua 4, the nation of Israel has finally made it into the promised land after 40 years of traveling out of slavery into their inheritance. The Lord had performed many wonders in delivering Israel from their doom into their destiny. Through signs and wonders, he led them out of slavery in Egypt. Through the parting of a Red Sea, he enabled them to flee their pursuers while using this same sea to swallow their enemies whole. He made bread fall from heaven so Israel would not die of starvation. He made water flow from a rock so Israel would not die of dehydration. And of course, this instance, making the Jordan River split so Israel could cross over on a river onto dry land into their promised land. All of this are miracles. All of these provided a nation, proved to a nation the presence of God and the power of God and the love of God. Nonetheless, the Lord commands Joshua to take 12 stones from the river where Israel's priests stood on dry ground. They were to place these 12 stones in the place that they lodged that night. Verse 6 through 7, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Where it crossed over the Jordan, these waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. The Lord knew as the days and years went by through suffering and success, Israel would forget who God is and what God has done. But if they were to behold these stones as a way of taking their memories and making them manifest in the physical world, to behold these stones would be to behold God again. And we see the Lord repeat this process in the New Testament. When Jesus took on, uh, taught on communion, he asked his disciples to break bread in effort to remember his broken body. He asked us to drink wine to remember his spilled blood. He said, do these things in remembrance of me. Jesus knew that we would forget the unforgettable gospel. What then can we do to remember the Lord? You and I, we have to find monuments. We must find a way to manifest memories into this physical world, an effort to have something to behold, to remember why do we do the things that we do and who do we do them for. So an effort to stir you to reflect on your own monuments during our worship time, which we'll have in a moment, I'm going to share with you just two stories of my own. Is that all right? I mentioned I went to Sam Houston State University, the Harvard of the South, and my ambition was to be an athletic trainer at the University of Texas. Nothing sounded better than living in the barbecue capital of the world, working on the Vince Youngs and Kevin Durants that would come through this university every year. 
This was going to be the dream job. Life was good. Learning was easy. The future was bright. I enjoyed everything I was doing and planning to do. And then one day, while walking to my weightlifting class that puts me one step closer to a bachelor's degree, because that's what you do when you're a sports medicine major, in the middle of a sidewalk between the apartment complex uphill that I would park at and the kinesiology center downhill across the street I was heading to, I hear the voice of God speak clearly on a cloudy day. And it was not an audible and visual experience. It was just one of those experiences where your soul knows that it knows it was hearing the voice of the Lord. God asks a question. And it's always an intriguing moment when God asks a question because a question means there is information someone does not know. But when you're an all-knowing God asking Adam and Eve, hiding from his presence, where are you? It's not so God can know where they are, but so Adam and Eve can know where they are. God's questions, then, are never for his revelation, they're for ours. Alex, if you do this, referring to athletic training, will you be at peace? I wanted to answer yes and get the self-inspection over with. I had dreams and plans and goals. I had timelines and expectations. It is much easier to dismiss the Lord's questions with my preferred future over his will. But the Holy Ghost has a way of haunting you with what you know is right. And as I wrestled with the Lord, I thought about my own small group guys. There was Ross, a fraternity guy who gave his life to the Lord. He knew how to play three and a half chords on a guitar, but because he was tall, dark, and handsome, every girl asked him for guitar lessons. There was Caleb, a big redhead with kind heart and relative morals. There was Edgar, a Hispanic Romeo who had just had his heart broken from a previous relationship. So he had this habit of listening to a Ben Harper song, an effort to embrace grief in order to overcome grief, which sounds strange, but the lyrics went, oh no, here comes that son again. And for whatever reason, this worked. There was Josh. He was a gamer who excelled at anything with buttons. The key to his heart was a video game night every Friday night at midnight until 6 a.m. Saturday the following morning. He wrestled with the rationality of a good God allowing bad things. And then there was Brian, a baseball player who kept to himself. But the right mama joke at the right time could turn the biggest introvert into the greatest extrovert you've ever seen. Suppose it still works today. Of these five guys, four gave their lives to Jesus. One continues to doubt. There's still opportunity with breath in his lungs. But watching these guys transform from rebels into worshipers was something that transformed me. Ross gave his life to Jesus. He then read the New Testament in two weeks and the Old Testament in three weeks. His roommates would overhear him crying out to God for their own souls. When Edgar gave his life to Jesus, his integration point moved away from a girl to the God of the universe, rightfully so. When Brian gave his life to Jesus, he became a missionary to Kazakhstan and then to Chile. This introvert could not help telling people about Jesus. These people loved God. They hated sin. They prayed for people continually. They read the Bible day and night. They let the Bible read them. They made disciples without the title small group leader. They went on to make disciples with the title small group leader. And although I did not know what was on the other side of God's question, I knew that I wanted to see more rebels transform into more worshipers. So I told Jesus, with joy, I want to do what you've called me to do. He said, I've called you to be a preacher, so go preach. And my soul knew that it knew. It heard from God. But how can one forget an unforgettable moment? Preaching came through the context of Chi Alpha missions. Many of the missionaries in this room can, of course, attest this means you have to call friends and strangers to ask for a continual investment of money to be a missionary, much like Jesus did, much like the apostles did. 
sometimes in these phone calls, it is the friends who can give you a little bit more grief than the strangers. I experienced my first call gone bad when I called up an old high school friend that I led to the Lord. As soon as I got through the missionary asked to be an intern, his response was, I know about you, Chi Alpha guys. I used to support a Chi Alpha missionary in Colorado, but at this point in time, there was no Chi Alpha missionary in Colorado. All you guys do is go skiing all day while drinking your hot chocolate, and that's not true. We all drink black coffee. He says, I'm not going to invest in your personal vacation. By the way, get a Chi Alpha started at the University of Texas first. There was a Chi Alpha there. It was 15 years old. And then, he says, I will consider investing into you. After I briefly rebuttaled my friend's false facts with real data, I realized this was my first call of the day. There were 50 more to make. So I did not pick up the phone again that day, or the next, or the next, or the next, or the next. A full week had gone by. My budget was at a standstill. The boy who heard the call of God on the sidewalk on his way to class was a single person responsible only for himself. The man who was rejected on an investment call was a married man responsible for paying rent and feeding his family. If my money depends on the generosity or monstrosity of humankind, do I want to be a missionary? Now the call of God was not so clear. Now the calling of God was at the mercy of what is convenient. Now what God has asked me to do was being questioned with what my family needs me to do. Does my soul know that it knows that it's heard from God? And in tears that only tribulation can bring, and with weight that only doubt can bring, I grab my phone and I walk out of my house through this campus of Sam Houston. I find the exact spot where I heard from God so many years ago, a small, unspectacular sidewalk in the middle of nowhere, Texas, and I took a picture that I've yet to delete over a decade later. I'll show it to you guys on the screen. I needed a monument. And every time I look at this small, simple picture now, I know that God made me to be a preacher, so I must preach. Every time I see this picture, I remember, why do I do the things that I do? And who do I do it for? I'm going to share with you one more monument and then ask you to consider your own as the band plays. When I was a student, one of our leadership training classes was on the why of discipleship. By this time, Chi Alpha was at least 15 years old. There was plenty of history to tell. Our lesson on the why of discipleship began with a picture, and the picture is of seven men sitting on a stage from right to left. The men are increasing in age, and from left to right, they're becoming younger in age. The picture begins with a man named Paul Brown, who discipled a college student named Terry Roberts. And Terry was one of those small group guys who almost did not make it. Responsibility can be kind of scary when it's real, and it's much easier to be a college student focused entirely on academics, or even academics plus dating, but academics plus reconciling fellow college students to Jesus. This may seem too extracurricular instead of extraordinary. So with lacking vision and the belief that he lacked time, Terry Roberts wanted to leave leadership training class telling his campus pastor, I just don't have time to make disciples. But his campus pastor counted with this vision. Terry, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, of course I do. Then you believe in who he is and what he said. Yes, you, you know I do. Then you, then you must remember when Jesus preached in Matthew 28, go out and make disciples of all nations. This means Jesus believes the great commission of discipleship will be accompanied by the great expansion of the kingdom of God on earth. Terry, if you do this, you will change the world. Now, Terry, perhaps believing in what he heard, or simply desiring not to hear any more conceited, 
and he stayed in leadership training to become a small group leader the following year. And in his brief time at Sam Houston State, Terry found, fed, and fought for a guy named Steve Cutno, who's second in line over there, left to right. Steve would go on to become a missionary to the Czech Republic, described by the campus pastor as the greatest small group leader Sam Houston had ever seen. But before he left for the Czech, he discipled as a college student another student named Matt Hugendorn. Matt had a younger brother named Josh, whom we also brought into Chi Alpha, meaning not only was Matt's life changed, but Josh's life was changed as well. Josh Hugendorn went on to become a missionary to the Arab world. Matt Hugendorn went on to become a missionary at the University of Houston. But before he did, he discipled as a college student the other student to the right of him named Ryan Volkmer. Ryan had a younger brother named Kyle, whom he also brought into Chi Alpha, meaning not only was Ryan's life changed, Kyle's life was changed as well. Kyle Volkmer went on to become missionary to the University of Texas at San Antonio, which has made its way into the Northeast area. He wrote a book, a book called These Things that Chi Alphas are using across the nation to understand discipleship, and he's now training pastors on discipleship at Gateway Church in San Antonio, considered the fastest growing Assemblies of God Church in the nation. Ryan Volkmer went on to graduate with a criminal justice degree, complete law school, going to the marketplace to serve the Lord, and he became the assistant district attorney for a small town called Houston, Texas. But before he did, he discipled as a college student to the right of him named Josh Renfro. Josh would be, go on to become a missionary to the country of Chile. He's the equivalent of the national senior director of Chi Alpha for the entire country, described by the campus pastor as the best preacher to ever come out of Sam Houston. But before he left, he discipled another college student named Ryota Yogo, the young man at the very far end on the right. Ryota was an international student from Japan who did not believe God. Through being found, fed, and fought for by Josh, he gave his life to Jesus. Ryota would go back to Japan with the gospel and then back to Texas to bring Chi Alpha to Arlington, the university with the greatest international student population in the state. At a Chi Alpha reunion, Terry Roberts came back to the campus he once made disciples at. Now way more advanced than years, not a college student anymore, a married man building a family of his own, working in the marketplace. Terry was accustomed to a group of 50. He was gladly surprised to hear the group was now over 200, and his campus pastor assured him they are strong now because he was responsible back then. And then the campus pastor realized Terry had no idea what had happened since his bachelor's degree, so he asked a question. Terry do you remember when I told you that if you make disciples, you will change the world? Terry looks up at the sky trying to jog the memory. He says, yeah, I think I remember that. He says, well, you did it, man. You changed the world. You changed the world from Huntsville, Texas. He says, no, not me, not from Huntsville. Eli, the campus pastor, refusing to see a revelation missed, walked him around the room by walking him around the world. He says, Terry, I know you know Steve is a missionary to the Czech, but did you know his small group guy, Matt, is now bringing Chi Alpha to the University of Houston, and his small group guy, Ryan, is now an attorney bringing God into the courtrooms of Houston, and his small group guy, Josh, is now a missionary to the country of Chile, bringing Chi Alphas all across that nation, and his small group guy, Ryota, is from Japan, went back to Japan with the gospel, Terry. How have you not changed the world if this person's in the Czech, this person's in Chile, this person's in Japan, and these other guys are reaching one of the largest cities in the nation? Terry was now in tears. 
He wasn't 19 anymore. He was married with kids, working a job. It had been years since he'd come back to Sam Houston, but because he was responsible with Christ's commands to make disciples, he found, fed, and fought for souls who would then find, feed, and fought for souls who then found, fed, and fought for more souls on a generation after generation from one campus to many beyond it, from one state to around the nation, from one nation to around the world. Terry changed the world from Huntsville, Texas. You can change the world from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You can change the world from Harrisonburg, Virginia. You can change the world from where you're at. And when we were shown this picture, it clicked that discipleship is transgenerational. This one picture is worth a thousand souls. What a beautiful, unique thought. That we can leave the place where we got our degrees behind. We can build families and grow old and watch our families grow old. And although we may become 40, 50, 60 something in years, there could still be a young 18 to 22 year old college student who has no idea who you are, no idea what you have done, but because you made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, they are walking with Jesus through a transgenerational spiritual lineage that your responsibility built. I have this unique privilege of teaching at an intern conference every year for Chi Alpha Nation. And at this conference, over 200 interns come in from across the nation. They learn how to be missionaries. The latest Sam Houston State graduates are a part of these classes. And my favorite, most cherished memories from these times together is when a young person who barely looks 22 years of age walks up to me. And they must have graduated in 2021. I graduated in 2009. They're a decade removed. I don't know them. I've never interacted with them. But they walk up and they say, thank you so much for being responsible for Jesus. You don't know me, but you're my great, great, great spiritual grandfather. And this is everyone's privilege who takes on the responsibility of discipleship to the ends of the earth so that Jesus can come back. You affect a campus for Jesus while after you're gone. You become a spiritual grandparent to souls you've never met but are born because you did not let a spiritual lineage die with you. And every time I see that monument of a picture, I remember... Why do I do the things that I do? And who do I do it for? So when the fear of the future and the problems and pleasures of the present impede us, we must look to the past to remember why are we doing what we are doing and who are we doing it for? This is what a monument is for. So to my friends who do, (laughs) to my friends who want to forget responsibility, And to my friends who do not want to embark on responsibility, we must remember why we chose Jesus and became responsible for his kingdom in the first place. What is your monument? As we worship this morning, I want you to consider a few things. Is there a place in your life that you can go back to? A backyard, a sidewalk, a dorm room, a library, anywhere that you can go back to and take a picture and frame somewhere for your eyes to always see and remember the Lord. If you met God at this salt, this is the place. If there's a spot on campus where you know that you know that you know God spoke, that is the place. 
Number two, is there a scripture that you could write out or a page in a book that you could rip out so every time you see that verse or that sentence, you remember the Lord? That is what a monument is for, to behold something with your eyes, to make a memory manifest in this physical world so that when you behold that, you can behold God again. Does it make sense? So this band's going to play two songs, and I would like to challenge you for this first song to be very reflective. Stand if that helps you connect with God. Sit if that helps you connect with God. Bow at your seat if that helps you connect with God. But be very, very reflective to find that monument. And when you find it, then let's worship the Lord together. Sound good? Jesus, would you help us to remember you and all of your goodness and all of your grace and all of your mercy and all of your love. You are the God who throws our sins into the sea. You are the Lord who treads our iniquities underneath your feet. You're the Lord who washes us as white as sparkling snow. You know the dreams that you dream about us. Thank you so much, God. Help us then to remember you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.